Hello everyone, Alan Mishra here from Vitality Explorers. Please sign up at vitalityexplorers.com for free information about how to enhance your physical, mental, social, and or spiritual well-being. As we always do on the Vitality Explorer News Podcast, we're going to start off with a quote. And this one is from Lily Tomlin, and here it is. Quote, for fast-acting relief, try slowing down. For fast-acting relief, try slowing down. Wisdom from comedian and actress Lily Tomlin. So please share this podcast with your friends and families if you are enjoying it. And please also leave us a five-star rating wherever you find your podcasts, such as oh, Apple, Spotify, Google, or anywhere else. This week on Vitality Explorer News, we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about how taking a walk in nature can calm your brain and reduce stress. We're also going to talk about a concept I call weightlifting for your lungs and how that can lower your blood pressure and systemic markers of inflammation. And then we're going to finish with a mini dive, not a deep dive, but a mini dive into how to pinpoint your life's peak purpose. All right. So let's jump into this nature walk can calm your brain and reduce stress. So I don't know where your favorite place is to take a hike or a walk. If you live in an urban area, hopefully you have a park. If you live in a suburban area, you also have a park or maybe a forest nearby. A couple of my favorites are, you might have heard me talk about the Stanford Dish before. I love doing that. There's another one down in Los Gatos, which is in the southern part of the Silicon Valley, and it's called the Kennedy Park Trail. It's a not very well-known trail in the Bay Area, but it is gorgeous. And when you get up uh, about 1,000 or 1,500 feet, you have spectacular views of the entire Silicon Valley. So I enjoy doing this uh, by myself or, or better with a friend. And now there's some interesting data to discuss about how getting out in nature, taking a walk or a hike can be important for both your physical and mental health. All right, now here are the, here are the conclusions from a recently published paper on the value of getting outside and in, into nature uh, for our vitality. Quote, going for a walk in nature may buffer detrimental effects of urban environments on stress-related brain regions and in turn potentially act as a, act as a way to prevent developing a mental disorder. Wow. Okay. Getting out in nature reduces your stress and may be a way to prevent hitting a mental disorder. That's insane. That's <laughs> ironically, right? But is that really true? Can going for a walk in nature act to prevent mental illness? All right, let's explore the data because I think that conclusion when I read it was so, so important, especially during our times right now where there's a lot more issues that we, we are all uh, dealing with, uh, especially in the context of the wake of the pandemic and the worldwide issues that are going on. So the study was by somebody named um, Sudamac, and they looked at 63 healthy volunteers before and after walking in an urban environment, uh, a busy street, or a natural environment, which was a forest. And the important part about this study is they used functional MRI to look at the amygdala, which is a portion of the brain that's associated with um, emotion and fear. And I have some of the graphics from the paper uh, up on the Vitality Explorer News Substack site. I encourage you to check that out. Um, but here, basically, they had some questionnaires for the, the, the subjects. They put them in a functional uh, MRI scanner. They either took a 60-minute walk in a natural environment or a 60-minute walk in an urban environment. Then they got another functional MRI and another questionnaire. So 
what they were looking at when they were in the functional MRI were uh, fearful faces or natural faces. So there's a sort of a validated version of how to provoke fear based on looking at a face or a neutral neutral condition. And here's the interesting part, is a, a statistically significant decrease in amygdala activity, remember that's the one associated with fear, and uh, was found after the subjects took a walk in nature when, we were, when they were exposed to either a fearful face or a neutral face. And so here's the conclusion from the paper, a secondary conclusion. Quote, we demonstrated that the amygdala activation decreased during a stress task after nature exposure, whereas it remained stable after an urban exposure. This strongly argues in favor of the salutogenic effects of nature as opposed to the urban exposure causing additional stress. So I, I mean, I'm going to just admit it. I had to look up what salutogenic, S-A-L-U-T-O-genic, G-E-N-I-C, uh, what it meant to confirm its meaning. But salutogenic means to support health and well-being. I think we need more salutogenics in our, in our, in our world. The simple but crucial conclusion is that nature supports our health and well-being. More from the paper, quote, a growing body of empirical research has demonstrated the cognitive and affective benefits of exposure to natural environments. Spending time in nature can improve working memory, capacity to restore directed attention, as well as reduce negative emotions and stress. And the evidence of nature's beneficial effects on stress have been observed not only in psychological assessments, but also in physiologic indicators of stress, namely things like decreased heart rate, blood pressure, and stress-related hormone cortisol. So, wow. So here's the Vitality Explorer analysis and recommendation. I think this paper provides powerful evidence in support of taking a walk in nature to help us deal with the stress of our daily lives. And this, this particular paper or investigation used this functional MRI to kind of look at activity levels in the, in the brain and using a validated model of stress to identify areas that were reduced after we were after the subject spent time walking in nature. And I'm not sure, and this is our analysis at this point, I'm not sure we can conclude that a walk in nature will decrease our risk of developing mental illness, but there seems to be pretty much zero downside and a significant upside to finding a park in your city or a forest nearby to take a walk. And taking a walk with a friend, uh, and you will take a walk with a friend, and you're going to experience sort of the, what I call the vital trifecta. That is, you can enhance your physical well-being, your mental and social well-being all at once. So that's that's a very powerful and often cost-free way of improving your vitality that is validated by a lot of data. All right, let's go to the second thing we're going to talk about today, and that is weight lifting for your lungs. Okay, so this is in the physical vitality area, all right? We've been talking about mental and social, but has anybody ever talked about weightlifting for your lungs? And the data on this is quite fascinating. And, and first of all, is there a way to lift weights for your lungs? This is kind of a crazy concept, right? Uh, we, we clearly have talked a lot about you know, lifting weights to improve your, your physical well-being and even your mental well-being, but your lungs basically expand because of muscles that are between your ribs and your diaphragm. And so the, the data that we're going to go over suggests that, uh, that weightlifting for your lungs can lower your blood pressure and systemic inflammation. 
So I think before we jump into all the data on that, we got to talk a little bit about how we breathe. And it's pretty much pretty fascinating, right? You don't think about your your breathing. You kind of do it automatically. And it's, it's in my opinion, it's quite remarkable, right? Uh, you don't think about, you know, how well you are breathing until there's a problem, such as an asthma attack or if you get the flu or a hacking cough. Um, but there's a portion of your brain called the medulla, which is in the back part of your brain, uh, that controls your breathing. And it responds to chemical stimulus in your blood to modulate both, you know, breathing in and breathing out and the muscles that help you do that. Uh, again, we put some, some graphics up on the Vitality Explorer Substack site for you to look that when, as you inhale, your diaphragm contract, contracts and goes down and your rib cage expands, all right? And then when you exhale, the diaphragm moves up and then the, the rib muscles relax. So the rib muscles are called intercostals, and obviously your diaphragm is the thing that separates your lungs from your abdominal cavity, but they're muscles, right? So well, how could you lift weights for your lungs? That's what we're gonna talk about here. And we're gonna talk about this in the concept, concept of a study, but the idea is inspiratory muscle strengthening, that's called IMST, uh, is a novel way to improve your lung function. And it, it goes all the way back to something that I, I saw in medical school and residency, and that's when somebody is having pneumonia or somebody's been on a respirator, they would give them this little thing where you try to blow up the balls, like going breathing in and out to kind of expand your lungs. But a re what's, what's cool now is a recently published double-blind randomized trial found that this type of training can actually lower your blood pressure. So, and it was really the first trial in healthy middle-aged and older adults to show that this res resistance in inspiratory muscle strengthening training program can lower that. So here's the, here's the details in the data. So the, the, the trial found a, st a statistically significant lower levels of systolic and diastolic pressure after six weeks, all right? And this is uh, basic, basically they had a, a device that um, has a certain amount of resistance when you're breathing in or a sham device that didn't have any resistance. And so when you're breathing in against resistance, you can lower your blood pressure. The trial, interestingly, also found lower levels of something called C-reactive protein, that's CRP, that, and that is a very well-established marker of systemic inflammation. And the protocol was pretty simple, okay? 30 inspira inspiratory maneuvers, 30 inhal inhalations, five sets of six, uh, and one minute rest between sets, six days a week. Holy crap, look, look at that. That's almost nothing, right? So 30 breaths in, in, in five sets of six, one rest minute between sets, six days a week. So the, the total amount of time for that is not a lot. Again, depending on how you can get this device, which is something we'll talk about here in a few minutes. Um, what you know, what, what's the big cost of that? Okay, the subjects that use the breathing device, um, you know, there was resistance on one side and then the other ones did not in the sham group. And here's the conclusions of the paper. Quote, our results provide support for high resistance inspiratory muscle strengthening as a promising lifestyle intervention for improving cardiovascular function and possibly decreasing the risk of cardiovascular disease and other clinical disorders such as cognitive dysfunction and chronic kidney disease. Holy crap again, right? So that's amazing. Um, you're just doing some breathing exercises against resistance and you can improve your cardiovascular function, decrease your risk of cardiovascular disease and maybe other serious issues. So another study, a different one, 
uh, compiled the data from five pilot trials and found that inspiratory muscle strengthening training uh, produced, quote, clinically significant reductions in blood pressure. And so this is where they, they took five pilot trials that kind of pooled the data together. These were adults between 18 and 80 years old. And then they either had a sham version of it, where again, they were doing five sets of six breaths, anywhere between five and seven days a week for six weeks. Uh, and they either did it against resistance, about 75% resistance or 15% resistance. And then what they found is over time, they, their systolic blood pressure went down significantly. And that systolic pressure went down significantly as, in as little as two weeks. All right. So the, the, and again, the charts that we have are up on the Vitality Explorer Substack site. But I think what this shows you is that weightlifting for your lungs in the form of resisted breathing exercises is crucial. And it, I think it, it could really be a non-pharmacologic way to lower your blood pressure and some of your blood inflammatory markers. And, and this is important because high blood pressure is, is what well, they call it the silent killer because you don't really know about it, but it's associated with a lot of different bad things like cardiovascular disease, dementia, kidney failure, and also with erectile dysfunction for those people out there who want to learn more about that. Inflammatory reduction is even more important because it's associated with cancer, autoimmune disorders, and dementia, all of which can shorten your lifespan and your, of course, vitality. So what, the reason why we talked a fair amount about this and I brought this up is I don't think this information is very well known, but I think it needs to be investigated more. More trials are ongoing to replicate the findings in these studies. Uh, there's also data that the people who are on the elite end of this, elite athletes trying to improve their function. Uh, we can talk about that in a later post. Uh, I wouldn't check in or, or wouldn't try this without consulting your physician first. Um, but I think you can talk about, is there anything you can do to improve your lung function? On a personal note, I did buy a device uh, off of Amazon where you can have a variable amount of resistance. I do find it quite interesting. I haven't shown or proven anything has changed, but it's incredibly simple. I just try to do it maybe not five times a day, but two or three times a day. I will do a set of five or 10 breaths against resistance. And I, I, think, I think it's helping my improve my lung function. But I will report back on that more. So these papers that we talked about were, were published in the Journal of the American Heart Association and, and, uh, and other high-end journals. So check out the Vitality Explorer News Substack site for further information about how to improve your lung function or weightlifting uh, for your lungs. We're going to finish this week's Vitality Explorer News with something really important, and that is your purpose. And we're going to talk for a little while today about how to pinpoint your purpose. And what we're trying to use is a new idea, and you can check out the slides for this on the Vitality Explorer News Substack site. And they are the exact slides I use for my Stanford Vitality class, which is sold out for this fall. But it's also for lectures that I've given at places like the University of Michigan, the University of Cambridge in England, and many other places. And I do think that your purpose is one of the foundations of your vitality. Um, and I think it's something that we forget about because it's too hard to discuss at some point. But let's just start with the basics. What is a purpose? And if you look up in the dictionary what purpose is, it's an aspiration, a desire to achieve something meaningful. All right. So it's not something nebulous. It's something that you want to do or it's something you want to have done, all right? Why is purpose important? 
Purpose is important because it provides structure. If you do not have a purpose or you try, choose not to pursue your own purpose, oftentimes other people will define your purpose for you. But here's important data. Your personal purpose matters. It's crucial to your overall vitality. And this is what I say about purpose. It is your most important modifiable vitality asset. Let me say that one more time. Purpose is your most important modifiable vitality asset. You can choose what your purpose is for why you are here on the planet. The data suggests that it's associated with, if you really know your purpose, it's associated with lower mortality and less risk of chronic disease. So how, you, how well you know your purpose is literally connected to your risk of dying. So there's a, a chart that's up on the Vitality Explorer new Substack site, and there's a yellow line which represents people who have the highest sense of purpose, and a black line that represents the people who have the lowest sense of purpose, and they track these people over five years, 60 months, or almost 70 months, so almost six years. And what they found, and this is something called a Kaplan-Meier survivability probability. So they use these for cancer studies where is the patient really still alive? And here's the staggering data. If you have a really low sense of purpose, you have a significantly slash amazingly lower sense of, of, of literally being alive five years from now, as opposed to people who have a very high sense of purpose. And that's why it's so important, all right? Um, it's also important to realize that your purpose can change over time. So when I was maybe 22 to 26 or even up to 30 years old, all I, my, my sole purpose seemed to be to want to be a doctor, to want to become a surgeon, and I was very, very, very focused. Uh, and that helped me organize and optimize my time. But you can change over time. I got married, I became a dad, I did a lot of other things, so my purpose became more than just uh, pursuing medicine or becoming a surgeon. So what I think over time is that you can have multiple purposes. You can have a professional and a personal purpose, but it does help optimize your life if you begin to know what that is. So the reason why we don't like it, we don't like the purpose thing, and I'm not here to purpose shame anybody, okay? I think I know it's hard. I know it's a daunting task. And we have a picture up on the, on the Substack site of the Hillary step, because I, I think finding your peak purpose can be as challenging as the Hillary step. And the story behind the Hillary step is quite interesting. So when Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay got to almost the top, almost like at 29,000 feet, they encountered, I think it's about a 60 or 70 foot wall of rock and ice. Now, part of it, I think, crumbled at, uh, in the last five years under an earthquake. But at the time they got there, they were like, oh my God, we're close to the top, but this is one of the most technical parts of the entire climb. And the story goes that Sir Edmund Hillary had to basically dig his crampons into the ice and hope it would hold. And he kick-stepped himself up horizontally from that base to the top of that 60 or 70 foot craggy, icy range to get up there. So you can imagine him not climbing, not, there was obviously no ropes or anything because nobody had been to the top before, but kick-stepping himself horizontally till he got you know, this is just below the absolute peak of Everest. I think that's what purpose is. I think it's sometimes you have to kickstep your way up just to get to the next level of trying to figure out how to get there, trying to identify what your peak purpose is. Now, again, because it's so hard, sometimes we shy away from it. We don't want to think about it, but it's so important. I think you can think of it as a leveraged investment. 
And if you spend about a thousand seconds a day just thinking about your purpose, that's about 17 minutes, just make time to think about it. It's so valuable that you'll get those 17 minutes back. Now, when people say, okay, I'm just thinking about it, I don't know what it is, what are some specific actionable ways that I can identify my purpose? All right. I don't, I don't, this is again, we, t- we spend a full hour in my class uh, talking about this and sometimes multiple, multiple weeks going over it. But let me give you a couple suggestions. The first one is to dream greatly or to dare greatly. Just think of something crazy awesome, like putting somebody on Mars, solving, you know, social injustice, you know, figuring out nuclear fusion that's super clean and super cheap. Um, when you start to bet on yourself or dream or dare greatly, something instantly happens. And that thing that happens is you, your confidence soars. Because once you believe in yourself, other people will start to believe in you. And here's the second one, which kind of goes with the first one. And that is to silence the voice of judgment in your head. Just don't believe what the other guy or the other gal or other person in your head is telling you that you can't do it. So in interviewing lots and lots of vital people all over the planet now, it's not that they don't have that voice of judgment in their head screaming at them that they can't get it done. It's they have a way of silencing that little demon. So dare greatly, silence the voice of judgment in your head, spend 15 to 17 minutes a day working on your purpose statement or thinking about it, and you're going to get closer to it. Over time, you might get there, but it's not, you know, you're not wasting your time to think about it. It took me over two years to, to boil down my purpose to three words, which I came up with is enhanced global vitality. And then I came up with a comma, enhanced global vitality, one person at a time. And that has become my combination personal and personal and professional purpose. So if just one person out there listening to my voice today is, is, has been learning a little bit about how to weight lift for your lungs, learning a little bit about how nature can help reduce our stress and, uh, and improve our chances of living a vital life, then I will have executed on my purpose for producing this podcast. And I know that burnout is at epidemic levels in our society today. And we're having lots and lots of issues. Um, my suggestion about trying to reduce or eliminate burnout is to help each one of us get closer to what our peak purpose um, could be for our life. Um, Or if you are lucky enough to be one of those people who knows what your peak purpose is, then help others, serve other people in need. Um, I I do think of of purpose as sort of your spine. If your spine is out of alignment, it's very difficult to to walk or or to live a, a strong and purposeful life. So think of that purpose as your spine. And also just boil it down to maybe short term goals like I want to run a 10K in six months or I want to find a new job or I'm going to go volunteer at a homeless shelter. Um, Just think also about this idea of a true calling, which can also be your purpose. And you will know it when you find it. Um, Finally, I guess I think what I think of as purpose is like a GPS. Purpose helps guide your hourly, daily, weekly and monthly decisions And it is, I truly believe, the rock upon which you can build your vitality. So I hope you've enjoyed this week's Vitality Explorer News. 
get out there and take a walk in nature with a friend. By the way, your friend can be your dog. <laughs> I love taking a walk with my dog, Tess. Uh, do a little weightlifting for your lungs. And, and that could just, if you don't have a device, you can just take deep breaths. Anything to expand your lungs will help you in the long, long run. And spend a thousand seconds today quietly thinking about how to identify your peak purpose. And until next time, get out there and dare to be vital.